You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You can call me Bruce. Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the Bruce exclusive of Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I am your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce exclusive. Welcome back. You decided to join me again, even after listening to my first solo show yesterday. I joke, of course, I've done solo shows before, but it was officially the first episode of the Bruce exclusive. And now this is the second episode of the Bruce exclusive and true to my word. Yesterday, we talked about the head coaches in the AFC East and why I had them ranked the way I had them ranked. And today, we're going to talk about the offensive coordinators in the AFC East. And really, what we're trying to do here is we're trying to have a discussion that is absent talent. Because if you recall, anyone who's been listening to the Nick and Nolan show this offseason has known that we talked about the, the 19 position rooms versus the 20 position rooms. And what Brandon Bean has done to inject talent into this roster, completely absent from coaching. Well, now we're having a separate discussion and we're having a separate discussion about where our coaches stand because you have to isolate one from the other because one of them is about quality of players on the field and the other is about the things you're asking them to do on the field. And those are two separate concepts And you have to understand where your flaw is if there's a flaw in your scenario. If there's a machine that is messing up, you have to diagnose the issue first. And so what we're doing is we're having a discussion so that if we do well, we'll know what was causing it. You were isolating the variables. This is a science project. It's always a science. Everything is a science project, ladies and gentlemen. And that's essentially what we're doing right now. We're having a science project. We are isolating the talent from the equation. Not talking about talent at all. We're talking about coaching. And yesterday we talked about head coaches. And today we're going to talk about offensive coordinators. So let's dive right in to things. Number four, New York Jets, Dowell Loggins. He's been connected to Adam Gase at the hip, so you shouldn't be shocked that he is your New York Jets offensive coordinator. Now, he does have less influence on the New York Jets offense than other coordinators do on their respective AFC East offenses because he doesn't call plays. Brian Dable, Jan Gailey, Josh McDaniels, they call plays. Dowell Logans is basically 
an offensive assistant to Adam Gase, who calls the plays and believes himself to be a quarterback guru. Now, he was the quarterback coach when Jay Cutler had a decent year, and so there was hope that there was a reason why Jay Cutler had semi-rebounded in Chicago from a previously bad season. But when he was the Bears' offensive coordinator, absent Adam Gase, after Adam Gase had moved on, the results were not great, Bob. In addition, when he was at Tennessee before his stint in Chicago, Tennessee in 2013 as the offensive coordinator, the results were less than stellar in that case as well. They were 19th in points in 2013 with Tennessee, 28th in points in 2016 with Chicago. In 2017 with Chicago, they were 29th in points. In 2018, when he was with Miami as an offensive coordinator, again with Adam Gase, they were 26th in points. And then last year with the New York Jets, they were 31st in points. So there is no indication that Dowell Loggins is the straw that stirs the drink. There is no indication that he brings anything to the position. So without knowing anything about his role, specifically knowing he doesn't call plays, but also knowing that no place he has been Has there been a track record of success being reasonable at rushing or passing? If you look at those offenses, nothing jumps out at you as being particularly strong. It wasn't like they were really good at passing and really bad at running or really bad at passing and really good at running. Let's take a gander back at that 2013 Tennessee Titans offense, if we will. Their leading passer was Ryan Fitzpatrick. That's right. He's everywhere. And he didn't have an overly great year. So if you look at Ryan Fitzpatrick, I really think that Ryan Fitzpatrick is one of those players that can help you serve as a measuring stick for how good your offensive coordinator is. Because we know that Ryan Fitzpatrick, if schemed up decently, can be a reasonable starter in this league. So I think he provides a sort of a litmus test to determine how good the offensive coordinator was for that team at that time. Ryan Fitzpatrick threw for 2,400 yards, 14 touchdowns, and 12 interceptions. Not great. They had Chris Johnson before his C2K season, before he was a 2,000-yard rusher, back when he was sharing carries with Sean Green, and he got 279 carries. He averaged 3.9 yards a carry. That's not good either. This was the person who was supposed to be in charge of making sure that Jake Locker became the guy. And that didn't exactly work out the way we wanted it to. Now, to be fair, they had Kendall Wright as their number one receiver. Now, he did get 1,000 yards that year. And they had Delaney Walker, who did better after him. They did Nate Washington, who had a career season. But every single one of those players has done better under somebody else's guidance. Ryan Fitzpatrick did. Chris Johnson did. Everyone did better, except for maybe Kendall. Kendall Wright, that was his career season. But everyone else is still in the league. Delaney Walker went on to have way better seasons under other people. Ryan Fitzpatrick went on to have way better seasons under other people. Chris Johnson became one of the all-time leading rushers per season in NFL history. One of the best rushing seasons ever under somebody else. 
So you can't put him anywhere else but four because there's nothing to hang your hat on. There's nothing to hang your hat on. Now, we don't know if it's really Adam Gase and Dowell Loggins is an offensive genius and we just don't know it. We don't know that quite yet because Adam Gase calls all the plays. But we don't have anything to hang our hats on that he is good. And so because of that, by default, he has to be at number four. Number three is Brian Dable. Now, some of you will remember that my experience with Brian Dable has been that I have ended up being a Brian Dable apologist on more than a few occasions because I think that part of one of the reasons that we as Bills fans really want to blame Brian Dable is because we're not comfortable blaming Josh Allen. We're not comfortable saying Josh Allen didn't do it because we're afraid that if that gives Josh Allen a strike, if you will, that too many strikes and he'll be out. And we're not willing to accept that. So instead, we pawn it on Brian Dable. I think Brian Dable's a perfectly reasonable offensive coordinator. I don't think he's a great offensive coordinator. I think he's fine. And if you look at Brian Dable's history, I don't think a ton of things stick out to you, but some things stick out to you as being better than Dowell Loggins. And specifically, that's the rush offense. If you go back to 2009 in Cleveland, 2009 in Cleveland, 2010 in Cleveland, then 2011 Miami, 2012 in Kansas City, 2018 and 19 in Buffalo. These are the years where Brian Dable has been an offensive coordinator. His offense for points, 29, 31, 20, 32, 30, 23. That doesn't sound inspiring. Let's look at the rushing offenses, though. I mentioned with Dowell Loggins that there wasn't anything to hang your hat on. Well, there is something to hang your hat on with Brian Dable. Rushing yards, 8th, 20th, 11th, 5th, 9th, 8th. The guy can scheme up a rushing attack. So, of course, that begs the question then, why is it exactly that he can't get passing yards? Well, I don't know if you've gone back and looked at the list of some of the quarterbacks that Brian Dable has been fortunate enough, let's say, to work with. But in 2009, in Cleveland, the quarterbacks were Brady Quinn, Derek Anderson, and don't forget that Josh Cribbs threw four passes. So that helps. Oh, oh, yeah, Phil Dawson got a pass in, the kicker as well. So not exactly a a great kind of a murderer's row of quarterbacks, if you will. In 2010, the quarterbacks were Colt McCoy, Jake DeLome on his last legs after he had started to fail in Carolina, Seneca Wallace, Josh Cribbs got a chance to throw a couple passes as well, Peyton Hillis threw two passes, and Muhammad Massacoy threw a pass. He's a wide receiver. So can you blame him for not having explosive passing offenses? Okay, well, let's give him another shot. Let's go to Miami. Miami in 2011. Matt Moore, Chad Henney, and that's right, ladies and gentlemen, J.P. Lossman. Matt Moore, Chad Henney, J.P. Lossman. Those are the quarterbacks. Okay, well, we're going to go to Kansas City now. Surely he'll have better luck in Kansas City, right? 2012, Kansas City. Matt Castle, Brady Quinn again. And Peyton Hillis, mind you. Those are the people who threw passes for that team. And now he's got Josh Allen. So if Josh Allen ends up not being a franchise quarterback, Brian Dable will have done the best he possibly could to manufacture a rushing offense everywhere he's been and has not once at that point had a franchise quarterback. If Josh Allen becomes a franchise quarterback, he will be the first time ever 
that Brian Dable has played with a decent quarterback. At least Dowell Loggins had Ryan Fitzpatrick. For goodness sake, Brian Dable hasn't even had that. So I think that there's an argument to maybe he's not perfect. No one's arguing he's perfect. He's third on this list. But he's managed to manufacture strong rushing attacks to make up for the fact that he hasn't been given a very good hand when it comes to quarterbacks. And that's why he ends up being third on this list. I'm not here saying that Brian Dable is without flaws. And we've mentioned those on the previous Nick and Nolan shows, and I'm sure I'll mention it again on the Bruce exclusive and on Nick and Nolan shows in the future. But you have to understand context. And when I have a bad quarterback as an offensive coordinator, I'm going to try and limit the effect that that quarterback has on the game. How do I do that? By establishing a good rushing offense. And that's what he's done. So much like my argument with the whole Patrick Mahomes and we should have drafted him and all that stuff. I made that argument when I was filling in for Joe Marino on Locked On Bills. And I said this, what did you reasonably expect them to do differently? And that's the argument I'm going to make with Brian Dable. Given the, the groceries that you gave Brian Dable, what did you reasonably expect him to make out of it that was any different than it was? Did you expect him to manufacture 4,000-yard passing seasons for Matt Moore, Chad Henney, and Colt McCoy? When we took the Buffalo Bills, selected Jake Fromm in the fifth round, and I said that the best possible case for Jake Fromm was he was Colt McCoy. And I didn't mean that as a compliment. And you could make an argument that's the best quarterback that Brian Dable has ever had until he came to Buffalo. That's not very good. But even despite his quarterback's limitations, he still managed to manufacture rushing offenses, which is, I think, is fairly impressive given the fact that no one had to fear any of those quarterbacks I just named. Maybe you have to fear Muhammad Masakoy while well, a trick play. Josh Cribbs, there was an argument going around in Cleveland at the time that Josh Cribbs, the gadget player and returner, was the best quarterback on the team. That's how bad it got in Cleveland during Brian Dable's tenure there. So I don't see, given the groceries that you gave him, what type of meal you would have expected otherwise. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about the last two offensive coordinators, number two and number one, in the AFC East. Stick with me. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive. I am your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce exclusive. I'm also on Instagram now. So, you know, make sure you're following me on Instagram too. It's mostly just pictures of dogs and food because those are the things I'm passionate about that don't include Bill's podcasting, but you know, it's still a good time. I mean, you know, it's always a fun thing. You icons and photos and stuff like that. Yeah. So do that too. Anyway, we already went through the fourth and third offensive coordinators in the AFC East. Number four was Dowell Loggins. I flat out said, there's just nothing to hang your hat on with Dowell Loggins. There's nothing you can say as, yes, I'm going to point to that as, as hope. There's no positives anywhere. Now, we openly said that that could be significantly impacted by the fact that he doesn't call plays. 
Adam Gase does. But when he did call plays, he still didn't have success. So there's nowhere else to put him but four. I put Brian Dable at three, and I made an argument that although Brian Dable has not had successful passing offenses, part of that's because he hasn't had successful quarterbacks. And that's just the way this works. You can't get dynamic passing offenses and just generate them out of thin air. You have to have good quarterbacks. Number two is Chan Gailey. You might be thinking, why Chan Gailey over Brian Dable? I'll level with you. You need to put some respect on Chan Gailey. You got to put some respect on my man. My man Chan. Because it's a tough game for tough people. And it's really important that we put some respect on Chan Gailey. Let me give you a history lesson on Chan Gailey. Chan Gailey was first the offensive coordinator for the Pittsburgh Steelers in 1996 and still in the league. They were 11th in points that year. Okay, good. 7th in points in 1997. Then he became the coach of the Cowboys, and they were 9th in points in 1998 and 11th in points in 1999. Oh, well, you know, he had really talented teams. Okay, great. Well, then he goes to Miami in 2000. They were 16th in points in 2000 and 8th in points in 2001. The next time he was an offensive coordinator in the league was Kansas City in 2008 because he went to become the head coach at Georgia Tech. But then he went to Kansas City and they were 26th in points in 2008. And now you might be thinking, okay, this is what happens when he doesn't have any talent. Then he becomes to Buffalo and he's 28th in points again. Now you're thinking the narrative's starting to grow. Man, until he has those, those 90s Steelers and those late 90s Cowboys, until he's got those rosters, he can't produce. Well, hold on now. Buffalo in 2011 was 14th in points. And if you'll recall, that was the Ryan Fitzpatrick, Stevie Johnson, Donald Jones, David Nelson, unbelievable lack of blue chip talent and generated a middle of the road offense from Chan Gailey, including drawing up one heck of a screen game for Fred Jackson and CJ Spiller. They struggled in 2012 because Fitzpatrick had the wheels come off and they went down to 21st in points. But then he got a chance again with reasonable offensive talent with the New York Jets in 2015 and they jumped up to 11th in points again. Ryan Fitzpatrick had his best season ever. And then the wheels came off there again because that's the way wheels always come off with Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's the five-game king as Nick likes to refer to him. 30th in points for the New York Jets in 2016. And now he's the offensive coordinator again for the Miami Dolphins. And sure enough, the quarterback is Ryan Fitzpatrick. So I don't know why we would expect a bad year from the Miami offense. Because the last couple of times Chan Gailey has had Ryan Fitzpatrick, they've gotten one or two good years out of him. Ryan Fitzpatrick had his two best seasons under Chan Gailey. And I think Tua is a tremendous fit in Chan Gailey's offense. Chan Gailey will always get respect from me for his ability to evolve as an offensive mind. There's not a lot of offensive coordinators who started as an offensive coordinator in 1996 and are still an offensive coordinator in 2020. Put some respect on my man, Chan Gailey. I was not happy when the Miami Dolphins brought him in to pair with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tua Tungavailoa. I was not happy about it at all because I think the Miami offense has a chance to rebound this year. The number one offensive coordinator in the AFC East is Josh McDaniels. I don't think you should be shocked by this, but I'm going to make a similar argument for Josh McDaniels the way I made for Bill Belichick yesterday. 
And that was, if you want to say it's just Brady, find McDaniels without Brady. Find him with Castle. In we already established that back in 2008, Matt Castle, who hadn't started a game since high school. Folks, Matt Castle hadn't started a game since high school when he came in for Tom Brady in 2008. They were 11-5 and and they were 8th in points. Because Josh McDaniels was able to scheme up ways for Matt Castle to be successful, so much so that they managed to trick Kansas City into thinking Matt Castle was a franchise quarterback trading a second-round pick for him and giving him a big contract. Yeah, no. No. You can't say that Josh McDaniels isn't a good offensive coordinator. Think about the way that offense has evolved from the way it was when Josh McDaniels showed up to the way it is now. Think about the evolution of the Patriots' offense. There are days when it's a power-running team. When I say days, I mean days. There are Sundays when you have a power-running team. And there are Sundays when you have a spread offense. Think about the difference between the way that the New England Patriots were last year, and still successful, still a playoff team, and the way they were when it was Randy Moss and Wes Welker and Dante Stallworth and putting up record-setting numbers. Completely different offense. Completely different style. Think about the years with Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski where everything was 12 personnel and they were flexing them out wide and then pulling them in tight and giving people nightmares because they'd pull them in tight and then run power and they'd spread them out wide and then run spread. They'd get them isolated on a linebacker. If you went base defense, you were too slow. If you went nickel defense, you were too small. There was no way to win. That was Josh McDaniels and it looks nothing like the New England Patriots we see now. And it looked nothing like the New England Patriots we saw before that. You can't tell me he's not a good coordinator. Well, what about, what about the year with the Rams? What about the year with the Rams? Bradford was hurt the entire year. It was basically A.J. Feely and Kellen Clemens. I just made the argument with Brian Dable not too long ago that if you have terrible quarterbacks, it's hard to coordinate a good offense. Is anyone going to argue that A.J. Feely and Kellen Clemens is um, less than desirable, let's say. Because I think they are less than desirable. But Kyle Orton in Denver had a career year. Is anyone going to argue that Kyle Orton is a franchise quarterback? Threw for 3,800 yards. Yeah, they were 20th in points, but again, it's Kyle Orton. He did the best he possibly could. In addition, he willed and schemed up that team, the Wild Bronco offense, schemed up that team to beat his old nemesis, and his former employer, Bill Belichick, and started the season 6-0 before the wheels started to come off. And they realized they gave Josh McDaniels too much power. But that doesn't mean he can't coordinate an offense. He can absolutely coordinate an offense. Let's take a look, if we will, at Josh McDaniels over the years as far as what he has done drastically different in New England. In 2006, 2007, and 2008, the rushing offense was 12, 13, and 6. You know something there? The year Matt Castle was the starting quarterback, he cranked up the knob on the rushing offense because he had to account for that. They jumped up from 12, 13 to 6th that year because he knew he had to account for that. When he came back to New England, 7th, 9th, 18th, 30th in 15, 7th, 10, 5th, 18th. When it was time to crank up the rushing offense, 
Josh McDaniels did. The year when they were number one in passing touchdowns, they were 30th in rushing yards because they didn't need to do as much. And as Tom Brady started to reach closer and closer and closer to the end of his career, and as the New England weapons started to get older and older and they weren't able to get the weapons that they had in Tom Brady's prime, he cranked up the nozzle and started to bring in power running things. They still use a fullback and he was integral to the offense. I just mentioned with Chan Gailey that evolution is important and we've seen that with Josh McDaniels. I'm not here for just saying it was all Brady. Belichick doesn't matter. McDaniels doesn't matter. It was all Brady. We could argue it was a big chunk Brady. I'm sure. I'm cool with that. But you cannot tell me Josh McDaniels doesn't matter. Bill Belichick doesn't matter. It was all Brady. I'm not here for it. He's the best offensive coordinator in the AFC East. It's the reason why he keeps getting cracks at the apple for head coaching jobs. Because people know it's not just Brady. People know that it's not just having an all-time great quarterback. That somebody has to be behind the scenes manipulating things over that period of time to be successful. And that's what's been happening. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive. Make sure to remember to find me on Twitter, tweet at me, give me hashtag almighty take, make sure it's a special teams related take, and I'll read them next Friday on the podcast. I'm going to record very likely on Tuesday the 16th. So make sure you have them to me by then. Do it right now while you're thinking about it so I can read them all off and we can have some sort of listener interaction, which we haven't always had a lot of on the previous Nick and Nolan show, but I really want to start doing that here. So make sure you find me on Twitter, hashtag almighty take, give me a special teams take. Let's do this because that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings. <laughs>